Throughout the season of Lent, we are praying this prayer together. So we pray it now. Lord Jesus, make me free to hear your call and free to respond in loving obedience. We ask this, Lord, for us as individuals, but also for us as the people of the 8th Street Church. We ask that you would free us from the things that distract us from hearing you. Would you free us from our fears of not enough that keep us in constant motion? Would you free us from our false beliefs about who you are that keep us from trusting you? Would you free us from these old things hanging around, things like our self-sufficiency, our pride, the way we idolize comfort and our greed? Would you free us from anything that prevents us from seeing you clearly, from knowing you as you want to be known, from hearing you call our name? Would you free us from anything that keeps us from being who you have made us to be, which can only be lived in loving obedience to you? This is what we ask for, because we do trust you, or at least we really want to trust you. So we ask that in your goodness and in your power, you would do within our own hearts what we cannot do for ourselves. Would you bring us freedom so that we can walk in your way? And we ask this together in the name and the spirit of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, good evening. My name is Chris, and I get to be one of the pastors uh, here at the 8th Street Church. And uh, I'm here because it is uh, when I'm here that I feel like I am among family. And so it is good to be in worship with you. I greet you in the strong and the powerful name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to invite you to turn your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke. And I have some friends who have Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, you don't have an iPhone or an iPad or whatever, you don't have your own Bible, you can just borrow a Bible by uh, raising your hand, somebody bring you one. We have Bibles in English and in Spanish. And so if Spanish is your heart language or you're practicing Spanish, just say, I want a Spanish Bible. And somebody will bring you a Spanish Bible. If uh, you don't own one, you can keep this as your own. But I invite you to turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4. This is our uh, New Testament reading on the first Sunday in the season of Lent. And here at our church, we honor the reading of God's Word by standing. So I would invite you to stand now as we hear the Word of the Lord together. Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing all that time and became very hungry. Then the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him, No, the Scriptures say people do not live by bread alone. Then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and the authority over them, the devil said, because they are mine to give to anyone I please. I will give it all to you if you will worship me. And Jesus replied, the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem to the highest point of the temple 
and said, If you are the Son of God, jump off. For the Scriptures say, He will order His angels to protect and guard you, and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. And Jesus responded, The Scriptures also say, You must not test the Lord your God. When the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. This is the word of God for the people of God. And we all say together, thanks be to God. You may be seated. Uh, The most ancient creeds that we have confess that Jesus was fully God and at the same time was fully human. Now, what all this means can be explored at, a, at another time, but what is absolutely true is this. Any other confession besides that is absolute heresy. Jesus, fully God, fully human. Now, this, if you didn't know it, is a mind-blowing idea. This should rattle you. Uh, this idea that God comes in flesh, that in Jesus God is dressed in teeth and toenails, should just shake you out of your chair. So when Jesus, who is fully God, breaks in on this life, he surrenders uh, himself to the confines of this life and to the experience experience of human persons. Uh, In the chapter that came before the one we just read, the gospel writer Luke tells us that Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. So there in front of the whole world to see, there is this, this activity that takes place where he is immersed and all of a sudden everybody can hear the Father's voice from heaven. It was a call that said, you are my son and you bring me great joy. Now I'm thinking that the story is going to be great after that. But the story actually takes a turn for the worse it seems. And now when I hear this story that this happens... I'm anticipating that it's going to take this different route and that Jesus should somehow experience great favor by God or popularity or influence or opportunity. And the reason I think that the story is going this way is because that is exactly what I expect God to do for me when I hear him and his loving call on my life. But instead, we have a huge problem. I mean, it comes out right in the beginning when we read this text. This is a huge problem huge problem. The Spirit, the Spirit of God leads Jesus into a wilderness. That is is sort of upsetting to me. In my wilderness times, I've always assumed that it was the devil that had a hand in creating the evil scenario or evil, whatever that looked like, created the wilderness situation for me. And I've always assumed that the role that God plays is God is going to swoop into my wilderness and he is going to save me like Superman or something like that. But that's not how this text reads. This God, the one that we call loving and good and holy, leads the one and only begotten Son into the wilderness. And in the wilderness, there in the wilderness, Jesus experiences deep pains of hunger for long periods of time. Now, hunger is about food, right? But, but hungry, in this text, is a direct result of the wilderness experience. And the Spirit, Luke tells us, led Jesus there. Is there anybody else in this sanctuary that is a little bit bothered by that detail? That God's Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness? 
You know, I get bothered by that, but I get bothered when I look at the whole biblical text because it seems to me that God has a habit of leading his children, those he is supposed, that he supposedly loves and is proud of and has a plan for. It seems that God has a habit of leading them into wilderness situations. For 40 years, you know the story. The people of God wandered in the wilderness. They were apparently led by the Spirit of God in fire and cloud. And my, you know, my, the most famous, what I call the Mardell Old Testament promise, you know, that Jeremiah 29, 11, that we put in a frame and we give to high school seniors, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. This little verse is encased in the tragedy that we call exile. And Jeremiah lets us know, as the other prophets do, that God sent the people into exile. Certainly the saints and the martyrs have had to deal with these wilderness situations, the desert fathers and mothers, the Celtic monks, the Trappist St. John of the Cross, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Martin Luther King Jr. Have you ever had an experience with God? It was so tangible and so real. And then... You have this experience, and, it, and then you're only le- it feels like you're only led by him into the wilderness. As a teenager, I would, I'd go to camp, and I would have these Jordan River moments. They were very real. It was like I was baptized into the favor and love of the almighty and mysterious God. But I would come home only to be led by God into what it felt like was a wilderness. I felt alone. I was by myself, and it left me hungry. I have a friend who gave his life to Christ for the first time. I got to baptize him. It was the most marvelous event of his and my life together. And then uh, shortly after that happened, he went through a very difficult divorce because his wife said, I don't want to be with you anymore if this is the way you're going to be. It was as if God led him into the wilderness, and he experienced hunger. A young adult friend of mine fully committed himself to Christ, found the love of his life, bought a ring, and as soon as he was ready to present it to her, she found out that she he found out that she was leaving because, in her words, she said to him, God told me to. He was left with this hunger. In, In these wilderness times that we all go through together, we are left hungry. And Jesus indicates that no, no food could satisfy his hunger when he was in the wilderness. And for us, when we are in the wilderness, when we are in places of suffering and struggle, maybe it's the devil we're experiencing even, it seems like evil makes a home and we are left hungry. And not only that, but we, we got to admit that even when it's our best days and we are not in the wilderness, there is always somebody else who is left in the wilderness and they're hungry because, as one theologian says, we live in this interesting land. We, we live in a land of plenty, and yet there is still great famine. In her book, uh, When God is Silent, Barbara Brown Taylor, who is one of my favorite preachers and one of my favorite authors, describes what happened uh, in her town, in this land, what she called this land of plenty, land of famine. 
She said, in my town where I live, a nicely landscaped neighborhood of second homes is going up one mile from a Hispanic trailer park where there are no screens or windows. A government grant for more public housing has been turned down for fear of whom it might attract to town. When members of the Ku Klux Klan, she says, stand on the street corner in town, they hold up signs and they proclaim Christ as their king. A recent letter to the editor in the county newspaper praised a group of high school boys for roughing up a classmate who looked and acted gay. The wilderness. The Spirit of God led Jesus into the wilderness. And he was left hungry. In the wilderness, we are left hungry. And this hunger causes a deep interpersonal struggle. It evokes a wrestling with what we actually believe about God. It causes us to wonder. Questions are asked. We are not satisfied. We are ones who struggle. And our hunger is so deep that not even food can satisfy it. We're left hungry when there are no resolutions in the middle of a church fight. We're left hungry when there are broken relationships. We're hungry when we see leaders that don't tell the truth or act ethically. We're hungry when we realize that there are 44,000 homeless kids in our state. We're hungry when we see people living behind the 7-Eleven in garbage. And we're hungry when we see people picking through the trash even after we've eaten at Panera Bread. And we're hungry because in some countries, including our own, certain lives seem to matter more than others. This God who claims to be so good, who met the Son in the baptism waters, is the one who leads the Son into the wilderness and leads us into the wilderness. And it leaves us with questions. Lent is for questions. And it leaves us with one really hard question. What do we do with a God like this? What do we do with one that does things that seem to be outside of his character? We expect the devil to be devilish, but it's shocking that this good and holy God seems to be the one in this text that acts devilish. How do we, how do we reconcile this? This is, this is what our, friend, our psychologist friends called cognitive dissonance. It, it's when ideas collide that don't make sense. And we have a hard time reconciling them. You know, I don't know all the answers to all the questions. But I, but I do know this, and that is this. That sometimes the problems that we see in the scriptures are, are shadows. Shadows of a better reality. Sometimes the problems that we see presented in the scriptures, the, the problem that we see in the text, is just grace and disguise. So maybe we'll just take a moment and just slow down, okay? Just for a second and be, be honest. You get to come to church and be honest. How about that? That's a mind blower. Let's slow down and be honest. Here we are at church. Let's be honest with the examination of both the text and our own lives because honestly, wilderness times are a reality for human beings. And if we can be honest... And we can be authentic that we are left hungry due to the wilderness experience that we find ourselves in, then maybe there's a new way forward. 
And if we can be honest about that, then maybe we can, be, we can dare to be honest and admit that our hunger actually looks like anger. And that anger is actually pointed in a certain direction. And if we can be honest that our hunger looks like anger pointed in a certain direction, then maybe we can be honest that we are angry with this God for leading us into this wilderness. And if we can be honest that we are angry with this God, then maybe it's okay to be honest about the fact that there are things that we just might not know about this God. And if we can be honest about that, maybe we don't know everything like we thought we did. And it's there. It's in that little thing right there. The fact that we just might not know everything about God. That might be our good news. Barbara Brown Taylor wrote this amazing article in the Other Side magazine about 19 years ago. She said this, several summers ago, I spent three days on a barrier island where loggerhead turtles were lying their eggs, laying their eggs. One night, while the tide was out, I watched a huge female heave herself up on the beach and dig her nest and empty empty her eggs into it. Afraid of disturbing her, I left before she was finished. The next morning, I returned to see if I could find the spot where her eggs lay hidden in the sand. What I found were her tracks. And they were leading in the wrong direction. Instead of heading back to sea, she had wandered into the dunes, which were already as hot as asphalt in the morning sun. A little ways inland, I found her, exhausted, all but baked, her head and flippers caked with dry sand. After pouring water on her and covering her with sea oats, I fetched a park ranger who returned with a jeep to rescue her. He flipped her on her back, strapped tire chains around her front legs, and hooked the chains to the trailer hitch on his Jeep. Then I watched horrified as she took off, as he took off, yanking her body forward so that her mouth filled with sand and her neck bent so far back I thought it would break. The ranger hauled her over the dunes and down onto the beach. At the ocean's edge, he unhooked her then and turned her right side up. She lay motionless in the surf as the water lapped her body, washing the sand from her eyes and making her skin shine again. A wave broke over her. She lifted her head slightly, moving her back legs. Other waves uh, brought her further back to life until one of them made her light enough to find a foothold and push off back into the ocean. Watching her swim slowly away and remembering her nightmare ride through the dunes, I reflected that it is sometimes hard to tell whether you are being killed or saved by the hands that turn your life upside down. Sometimes it's hard to tell whether you are being killed or you are being saved by the hands that turn your life upside down. Think about this. If we can admit it, And be honest that we don't know everything there is to know about this God. That God is far more mysterious than we can comprehend. Then maybe, just maybe, we can also admit that while God seems devilish, we can also admit that we have forgotten that the devil is actually the one who is actually devilish. Because in our hunger and in our anger and in our worry and in our fret and in our anxiety and in our despair, in our wilderness, 
That's when the devil, the evil, the diabolical, however you want to describe the wicked, it's in that place the wicked comes to comes in like a like a greasy salesperson with a tidy pitch completely with promises and fine print. It's at that time when he meets us. You know, it's when we make assumptions about these two characters, this God and and this evil character in this text. It's, it's when we make assumptions about the, these characters that we are most vulnerable. It's, it's in that place where evil begins to capitalize on the fact that we are hungry, and, it, and evil begins to fill us with promises that, that just don't hold. That's what the devil did and seems to do. It's like evil fills the space with words that really don't mean anything. Now, the sales pitch is presented to us in our moment of weakness, promising to meet our needs in three different ways, through food, favor, and fantasy. The, the devil says to Jesus, just taste this. It will satisfy you. Food. Isn't that, isn't that a driving force? In a day and a time like we have in the first century when food was scarce, to have somebody promise you food security with somebody that you were going to listen to. Food is the most basic resource. And today, those of us who eat three squares a day here in the United States, if we eat every single meal. Guess what we worry about too? Food. Our basic resources. We worry about job security, insurance, a paycheck, a nice house. You can just... Just bring that down at its basic level, food security. The one who controls the food controls the world. Pharaoh in Egypt knew this. So did Herod in Palestine. So does Donald Trump in the United States of America. So does Walmart. So does Amazon. So does, uh, so does Google. So does McDonald's. You know, every politician... I've ever heard speak, speaks to the wilderness that we are in. And if we're not in one, that politician will create one for us, make us worried, and then promise security. They'll speak about something like an economic state and how, lo- how bad it is, or, or low wages, or unemployment rates, and we rush to a frenzy of fear. In the 2016 presidential primary, Ted Cruz of Texas walked onto the stage in Iowa, and his first words in his speech were, Glory to God! But by the end of speech time, the promises revealed that there was only one person there that day who those promises would benefit, Ted Cruz. Now, before you get mad at me for being critical of Ted, let me be critical of myself. Because... I am quick to trust these leaders rather than the holy God who not only leads me into the wilderness, but then is with me in the wilderness. The second, second promise went like this. I can, I can help you. Just come and worship me. You know what we call that? Favors. Evil, the devil, however you want to name it, invites us to ask, what harm can there be If we compromise, what harm can there be if we join with another spiritual superpower? 
The trust that we place in nationalism, patriotism, consumerism, even denominationalism has resulted in a shift of loyalty away from God. And as a result, we have a world that can only spin on the access of debt, violence, and famine. And you know what? I am tempted. Tempted to make compromises rather than to surrender to a holy God that not only leads me in the, into the wilderness, but is with me in the wilderness. The devil shows Jesus a high point, and then he says, come, come on, trust me, jump, I'll catch you. You know what we call this? Fantasy. Entertainment. Can you imagine watching him leap, leap off the high point? We crave the extreme. The remarkable, the outlandish. We cannot turn our eyes away, so we give ourselves away and we yield to it. Entertainers, celebrities, and advertisers promise to be the quick fix of our reality and the anxiety that we face every single day. All you got to do is drive through a shack village of any poor country on the planet, and there are antennas sticking out of the tops of homes that are even made from cardboard boxes. Entertainment, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, to everyone in the world. Each day, we are invited out of our wilderness via sales pitches and celebrities. But that is a lie. Because we've seen time and time and time again that it actually, when we compromise, it actually drives us into deeper wilderness of despair. And I'll be honest with you, I am tempted to satisfy my hunger and my angst and my anxiety and my fear by embracing fantasy that a certain life or an experience or a product will fix my mess rather than the holy God who not only leads me, but is with me in the wilderness. To be hungry is dangerous. We get angry and then we do dumb stuff. And in our hunger and our anger, when we're hangry, as they say, we want a quick fix. One of my, Old Test- one of my New Testament professors, Roger Hahn, says that part of the temptation that we face is to make God prove himself to us again and again and again. And God does not need to do that. Because this text shows us that Jesus, God's beloved Son, fully human, and fully God, filled with the Spirit, resisted the temptation, and says to us in our wilderness times, you don't need to do that. God is for you. God is committed to you. God has redeemed you. And and God not only leads you, but God is with you. As my friend John says, God has made a statement about you, and the news is good. Like Jesus, you are God's beloved son. You are God's beloved daughter. God loves you and God is proud of you. And Jesus demonstrates that food is not actually the supporter of a meaningful life. And neither is a paycheck. We do not live by bread alone, but by God's word. And God has good things to say about you. He is the God who speaks and manna shows up. He's the God who speaks and quail is made available. He's the God who speaks and water can flow from a rock. He's the God who speaks and says, I am with you even to the end of the age. Do you understand why we fast during Lent? It is to become more aware of our obsessions. 
And it has become, it is to become more aware that in our wilderness, that this God can actually be trusted. In the wilderness, we, it's in the wilderness where we're stripped of the things that capture our hearts and our imagination. And it's here where we discover a greater truth that we can trust this God and what he has done in the past to demonstrate that he loves us and how he has provided for us and met our needs. And we can trust that this will be done in our future. Now, this doesn't come from me. I didn't make this up. This comes from Jesus. And Jesus demonstrated that faithfulness is more important than favors. In, in Lent, we seek solitude and we examine the spaces in our lives that question our trust in this God so that we can then recognize that and then begin to serve him with single-heartedness. Jesus also shows us that trying to live into a fantasy, to make compromises, is the ultimate deception and it steals our identity. This is why in Lent, we simplify our media and our entertainment consumption. It is so we can see the God colors and hear the God sounds and to live into the God-given realities that are offered to us. Jesus embodies what it means to be human. But Jesus is also the embodiment of God. And when the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness and leads us into the wilderness, this text demonstrates that we are not in the wilderness alone. Jesus, the full person of God, is with us in our wilderness. He doesn't take us around our wilderness or under or over or above. He is with us in it. And when we are hungry, famished, when we are struggling in the wilderness, the gospel writer John doesn't report that God just says nice things about us, even though he does. But Jesus, but, he, but John says that Jesus is actually the very word that we need to deliver us out of our wilderness. John says that Jesus is the word the word that we all need, the word that was with God, is God, and has forever always been with God since the very beginning of time. Thanks be to God. I want to invite you to close your eyes and take a moment, if you would, I give you permission to be honest in this moment, to be authentic in this moment, to think about your wilderness situation and how you are hungry and how that hunger might even be anger. And then I give you permission to point that towards the direction of God. And now I give you permission, not that it's mine to give, but I do, just in this safe space, to admit that maybe you and I don't know everything there is to know about this God. And sometimes when we're in the hands of a living God, we don't know if we're being killed or we're being saved. Think about this as you uh, are in this moment of quiet. Where is it in your world 
I've asked myself this week in my world where we hear lies that sound truthful. When do we see wants presented to us as needs? Where are we tempted in our world to think of faith as something that is easy? How might you and I, as the people of the 8th Street Church, demonstrate our trust in this God? Well, one of the ways that we're invited to trust this God is by coming to his table. We leave the cross in the center of the sanctuary because we recognize that the cross was Jesus' ultimate wilderness experience. The opportunity came for evil again there in the garden. And the suffering that was experienced by the God-human on the cross is the sign of suffering, and it is the sign of victory. It shows us just how far God will go to be with us. Every time we see the cross, we're invited to participate in the way of Jesus and to place our trust in this God who has the capacity to turn our lives around. Each week, we're invited to the table of our Lord, and we're reminded, and we are invited that we can trust that he is the demonstration of how to resist temptation, but he is the empowerment to do so as well. The elements that we have here are a constant reminder of something tangible, a new reality, a great story, a bold statement, Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. And in his generosity, Jesus showed us what he was willing to do for us and on our behalf by, uh, by looking at his friends on the night before he was betrayed. He took the bread and he broke it after giving thanks and he said to them, this is my body. It's broken for you. And whenever you eat it, I want you to remember me. And then in the same way, after supper, he took the cup of wine and he held it up and he said, This cup is the new covenant that comes in my blood and it is poured out for you. Whenever you drink this, do so in affectionate remembrance of me. It is at this table where our hunger is met, where our thirst is quenched. This uh, this table here at the H Street Church is an open table. And all who are open to the transforming work of Christ are welcome to this table. And I want to let you know that you are welcome in this community. Everyone who is open to believe in the good work and wants to receive the grace that comes from God is welcome to this table. Everyone who wants to put their trust in this God who is wild and beyond their comprehension, but who has revealed his love in the sacrificial ministry of Jesus, his son, you are welcome to this table. It is at this table where we live in attention, where we follow the one who is the victim of this world and yet says to his friends, do not worry, I have overcome it. If that is you, and you long for a relationship with this God in this way, you need a God who not only leads you into the wilderness, but is with you into the wilderness, you are welcome to this table. We want no barriers, so I want to let you know our bread is gluten-free, 
Our wine is non-alcoholic. I invite you to exit the left side of your row and move down our aisles with your hands cupped, ready to receive that which is good and that which comes from God. We do not take communion at this church. We receive it. It is a gift. So approach one of these servers. Uh, Allow them to be a catalyst of generosity to you. Listen to what they have to say. Dip the bread into the cup. And then when you're ready, you can eat it. If for any reason you're unable to come down our aisle, just wave at Justin and he would love to come and serve you. Friends, this is Jesus' table and he invites you to it, as do I. Amen and amen. You are welcome to come when you are ready.